am here today with Maria Modi and Melody Forbes, who are the current co-chairs of the JCSW. And Melody, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. I am staff co-chair along with my, um, um, have the privilege of um, co-chairing uh, with Maria Moody, uh, which has been a great partner um, so far in um, leading um, this uh, great um institution, JCSW, um, and I'm also an associate uh, director uh, at medical Harvard Medical. So, hi, and thanks for this opportunity. Uh, like Melody, I think it's great fun to work with her. Um, as this conversation evolves, you'll see how much fun it is to be M&Ms in this big picture. The joke will come out later on. So my name is Maria Modi, and I am um, a faculty member in the Department of Radiology at Mass General Hospital and Harvard Medical School, and um, a faculty co-chair of the JCSW. And I'm really looking forward to this year, which is um, has a lot of special activities planned. Okay, great. Thank you. So first question, how did you get involved with the JCSW? And you know, what do you think you've got out of it um, in your time as being members and now, and then you were vice co-chairs and then co-chairs. What do you think has has, um, has been the best parts of being a member? Congrats, Murray. Keep on getting promoted in this organization. That's so great. <laughs> um, well, I can go first. Um, so first of all, um, I was looking for opportunities um, get involved um, with the community. Um, my job, my regular job, um, is very back end. And I wanted to step out and, um, you know, contribute. To me, it's just it's a platform where you can actually, um, you know, practice skills that perhaps you're not getting the opportunity to practice at work. You're meeting different people. Um, I'm working with faculty for the first time, which is not, um, you know, part of my regular job. I'm ex you know, expanding my network have the opportunity to practice leading um, and not work I'm an individual contributor. So um, here I'm leading uh, faculty and staff in the group. Um, most, of, most of the people you don't know, so you get the opportunity to um, learn how to manage a team, um, people with, from different diverse backgrounds. So that's been um, um, fun and a great learning opportunity. It's been a great opportunity to work on projects um, our team at the time, uh, when I started out, I was um, a staff coach here for the community engagement team, and we were responsible for driving um, the new logo development um, forward. People who don't know um, the symbol, <laughs> the new logo symbolizes diversity as a people and as a group. So, and members voted for that. And it's a fantastic logo. <laughs> logo. Um, so, um, yeah, you get to work on different projects um, um, with different people and different departments. and um, you know, practice leading and to see, uh, test drive it to see if it's, if it's for you or do you want to lead as an individual contributor or do you, um, you know, want to lead people. For me, it's confirmed that I definitely want to um, lead people. I've learned a lot about some of the things I need to work on uh, going forward. I'm currently, um, you know, trying to source a coach to help me with some of those things. Um, so it's been a great learning opportunity. Um, it's definitely um a platform that invites people of different backgrounds to come and, you know, advance, you know, the goal is advanced women in medicine, but you also get a lot out of it um, for yourself in terms of um, 
what you put in. Yeah. One of the things that I have found is it's an outlet for me for things that I normally wouldn't be able to do in my um, my position. So, you know, given this, like the podcast or organizing an event to talking to speakers um, and networking has been some of the benefits that I've really seen. And that's for me. But I'm interested to hear more about your thoughts on the leadership. But um, first of all, uh, Maria, do you can you um, talk about your experience with the JCSW? Yeah. Um, so I got involved with the JCSW a few years ago. Um, and I think what attracted me was the name of the organization, which is Joint Committee on the Status of Women. And interestingly, I come from a family of six girls. So I have a lot of experience with working with women, shall we say, and being the youngest of six. Um, I felt it was great training grounds for, you know, understanding what we can contribute to it. And also as women in an in a very decentralized system. And what I mean by that is I'm faculty at Harvard Medical School, but I my appointment is through an affiliate, which is Mass General Hospital. And I thought that I don't really quite understand where the bridge is between these organizations. And I felt the only way I could contribute and advance the cause of faculty, selfishly because I'm faculty, I thought I would need to get involved with an organization that does exactly that, and specifically for women. So I actually entered through the subcommittee of professional equity. And for for a few years, I was, a, uh, you know, we've been trying to get our voices heard on various initiatives. And over the years, we've organized a um, wonderful panel two years ago um, on Mind the mind the gap, as we called it, and this is related to the Massachusetts Equal uh, Pay Act, MIPA. Secondly, I felt that I really don't know how the medical school works. And this was like baptism by fire. You know, it was literally great uh, to be paired with a staff co-chair. And I can honestly say it's been a wonderful learning experience because we each have this tendency of looking through a very narrow set of lens, the lens of our own individual organization. And then you start to realize it's much more complex than that. So I love this whole interaction, the opportunities to learn, the opportunities to lead, and more importantly, the opportunity to truly bring the medical school and its affiliates closer together in decision-making that affects staff and faculty. Yeah, um, I just wanted to um, comment on that and say that the teams are really truly cross-functional teams <laughs> across um, various institutions. I mean, across the dental school, the medical school, and the affiliates. So it's a great opportunity to um, connect with people, um, their different skill sets, and learn a lot. Yeah, and I like what you said about the events planning. I forgot to mention that earlier. Yeah, I was baptized into events planning <laughs> During this, um, during these roles, so um, I adopted a new skill set, you know, among other things. So um, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, one of the things that I found as well was, you know, you have to introduce a, spe- a speaker or thank a speaker. So um, for me, it was a wasn't something I had done before. 
it was at a time when I was taking a an improv class. So I used some of the skills from that in order to do like a thank you or some or something like that, where, where I would like listen to what the speaker was saying and then try and weave that into the the, the short thank you that I was going to give. And and that's something that day to day I would never get the opportunity to to do. Yeah, it's also, um, I mean, you're working, right, you're starting from ideation and then working your way up to the execution of a project. So um, most of what I do on my day job is writing reports. So this was really different and interesting. So um, this has been a lot of fun that way um, to take ideas and um, put them into action and add value at the same time. Yeah, and I have to say something really interesting here when I'm listening to all of us speak is is that Based on my work, which is, you know, understanding communications uh, and how people interact with each other, um, both in typical populations and disabled population, we have in us a natural social gene. We are born to interact. We want to be social. And I think that this the JCSW truly gives us an opportunity through leadership and through interactions across multiple platforms to hone that skill, but more importantly, draw other people into it who may not be as um, comfortable with speaking up or speaking out and feeling safe about doing that. That's really, really critical because with leadership comes power, but opportunity and responsibility. And they all are very interactive as part of our call to lead through JCSW. Melody, I mean, you had said it sort of working on your leadership skills. What makes you want to, to think that that's something that you want to work on? Uh, well, my long-term goal actually is to be a manager or a leader of a department um, someday. Um, you know, I've taken a lot of leadership development courses. Um, I've been part of the administrative fellowship program. For those that don't know what that is, it's a leadership development program for um diverse staff, a lot of training uh, to see a Center for Workplace Development. I want to be careful of my acronyms because not everybody might know them, (laughs) known as CWD, and um, feeling empowered by them in terms of uh, deciding on what career trajectory I would like to take. I think, um, you know, leadership is appealing, um, mobilizing people and resources for the greater good. You know, it's not just leadership or just a title. It's, um, I think that if you're leading, you should try to have a purpose to what you do. I mean, many people are called to lead to do different things. Like you come into either a department or you're heading like an institution and maybe, um, you know, change leadership is needed. You need to turn something around. I think practice is important. And again, going back to the experience that JCSW offers, it gives you the um, opportunity to practice leading. So when you get those actual opportunities, you're not like frightened or scared of it. Yeah. Yeah. I like empowering people also. Um, going back to your original question, empowering people to do their best. Okay, Maria, what about you? And um although I I am tempted when um when I am speaking to faculty as well to go into your research and, and delve into that. So I'm really trying to 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 not do that. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um Before I jump into my research, I just want to also add a comment that I so agree with Melody on, among other things, is the whole aspect of empowering people, empowering women. And I think a key word that came out from this most recent event that we organized with Dr. Cordova 
was the word confidence. And she said, inspiring confidence and being confident in yourself. It's not easy in a system when you're in a system that's one of the leading organizations or institutions in the world to get your voice heard or not to be afraid to speak up because leadership requires you to speak up. And it's not always easy material that you have to deliver or say. But on the other hand, there is the importance of just knowing that with leadership comes responsibility, but also building that confidence, which is what the JCSW is all about in some way, I think. And and that was Dr. France Cordova. She was the former director of NSF. Right. Thank you for um, mentioning that, Gerhardi, because she... uh, she, when she was a chancellor in one of the universities in California, a vice chancellor, I think, she just discovered that, oh, what does the school lack? They're asking me to come up with ideas, she thought. And she said, okay, doesn't have a medical school. Let's go for it. I mean, that is a huge, huge undertaking. And for her to kind of lead that initiative, it probably wasn't easy, but, you know, hats off to her because I think a lot of people left very inspired after that session with her. She was so grounded and down to earth, which I really enjoyed. Um, Okay, coming back to your real question um, about my research. uh, One thing that I found was that she was incredibly positive. Just, yeah, and just her confidence in just going, saying, okay, how, how do I... I think this person is interesting. Let me just go and talk to them. Yeah, confidence also, um, um, not to take away from memory, but I would say confidence is the best asset anyone could have in life and in your um, career um, to work on it and develop it. Like self-confidence is actually your responsibility because it starts with the self. Um, My other takeaway that I'm glad she reinforced, which is my um, philosophy in life, is um, you know, look at your position as um, a position of power, like someone asked you a question about being a woman and how that that's sort of impacting her, maybe moving forward or people not being forward. And she said she's also she's always seen herself being a woman as a strength, um, primarily. And someone had asked her a diversity question and she answered. I'm glad she answered the way she did. She said, um, you know, your diversity is a strength. And too often we are interpreting, you know, things the way how other people see us. If other people don't see it as a strength, I mean, well, that's their problem. You know, you have to see yourself and what you have. Um, But you're bringing to the table, even if you're the only one at the table, as um, a source of um, strength or or a way to add value. And um, you're the one that have to shift your perspective in thinking about that. No one can shift it for you. Uh, Melody, don't you think one of the other things we learn in the process of being co-chairs is um, trying to find the best in people? There is, There will always be, as you said, naysayers, right? There will be always someone who, just by nature of being a leader, that you're going to encounter resistance, right? So you 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 learn to handle those situations. And in doing so, you gain more confidence in yourself. Because the act of leading is a combination of listening and speaking up. And you don't allow yourself to be walked over or trampled over. But you also begin to realize when 
at least I know this for myself, when I have to learn to listen better because they're trying to, sometimes people try to be diplomatic in trying to say something and they won't come out directly and say it. And on the other hand, I find myself doing that too. And someone says, just say it. And I said, it's hard to say things that are people, you know, that are not easy to, and as women, I think we have a, a greater difficulty speaking up about these issues. So, so yeah, I, I feel that Dr. Cordova did a really good job of putting a positive spin to even a few negative happenings uh, or a resistance issues that she may have encountered. And that's actually inspired me quite a bit personally to say, all right, I'm going to say it as it is and, you know, um, just choose my words carefully. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I'm also a direct speaker as well. Um, So um, try to choose the word carefully and um, in a way, try to frame it in a way where the person might receive it. But also I've learned when introducing, like I said, I'm an idea person that um Trying to get people on board with my idea is not a one-shot thing. That's one of the things I've learned here. Um, it takes people a little time to, you know, for your idea to resonate. You're probably bringing in a new idea that I think might shake something else up. I don't, I don't know. I'm just making an assumption, but give people some time to process your idea. And um, you know, as an individual contributor, that's something that I learned you know, in this space is to um, give people time to um, sort of, you know, warm up to your idea and to understand where you're going um, with it. And you may have to reiterate the idea several times or, um, you know, maybe in a different way or maybe get someone to help sponsor you (laughs) um, to move it forward. Definitely learning a lot. Thank you. I really appreciate that feedback. Appreciate it. (laughs) Maria, you're going to talk about your... uh your work and because I'm uh yeah I'm interested to hear about it and and how it relates to the kind of work that we do you know uh, I was listening to Alan one of Alan Alder's podcasts yesterday and about connection and how important that is amongst humans and how to foster connection what 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 are the ways in which we can improve oh that's a that's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure I have a checklist, but I'd like to say I, this whole conversation, the few, the last few minutes, listening to um, you, Hardeep, and Melody uh, about words and selecting words is a page out of my expertise in terms of communications. And I think, um, so to answer your question, my research uh, is, uh, is focused on cognitive neuroscience. So I basically look at um, the brain in relationship to the human ability to communicate. And communication can be oral or written or sign language, you know. So it's across different populations and different modes of communication. So if there's a breakdown in speech or language or reading or, you know, gesturing through communi- to communicate, you, want, you try to understand what's gone amiss in the brain. And my focus is primarily developmental disabilities. So I look at autism or dyslexia or ADHD or fragile X syndrome and trying to understand what's wrong. And I think the field tends to start out always by looking at the atypical population. And for example, let's say someone has a stroke 
and they lost their ability to speak. And in the good old days, that's how research was motivated by looking at someone who lost an ability to look at what part of the brain is impaired and therefore make the one-to-one correspondence. So this part of the brain, this ability not to do something and therefore the relationship. And the reality is uh, two things. One, it's not a one-to-one correspondence. It's clearly now a buzzword and a truly important word is connectivity in the brain. So we have multiple connections. They are like bridges that connect different parts of the brain. They are white mitre tracts, and they allow us to actually relate different sensory modalities with higher level cognition to be able to be responsible in our choice of words, in what comes out of our mouths, in planning, and in execution. But I think a core word that's really come to the forefront because of my focus on autism over the last several years is the social gene that we are truly born to communicate. We are driven to communicate. When you look at an infant in the crib, very soon after they are born, they they do things like make eye contact with you. They track stuff. They're like sponges. They just grab everything. They don't say much in the early days, but parents have to be very careful what they say around their kids because next thing you know, it's coming out of the mouths of the kids because that's what they've heard. And, and it's not all just pure receptive mapping. They're actually making meaning. They're trying to extract meaning from the words. Um, so a joke that's often I share with, and I'm not sure it'll be included in this podcast, but I'm the youngest of six, right? And it's six girls. And I used to often hear friends of the family say to my parents, the joke is, oh, are you trying to have a boy? <laughs> you know, because, okay. Yeah. Very yeah. difficult, I would Very, say. Very, yes. <laughs> and so then the joke would be that, oh, Maria, you're the youngest. And it was so far. And I would hear the words so far. So when I would go out with my parents and they would say, oh, you're the youngest, I would turn around and say, so far. And and these adults didn't know what to do with me because they didn't know if I was using it meaningfully or I was just being a little parrot and repeating it back. It's funny, but communication and meaning. So that's what, what I focus on is meaningful communication. And so when when in autism, for example, they are struggling to actually make contact with other individuals, they don't make this, you know, eye contact, they are look like they're in their own world. And because there's so much heterogeneity in that population from low cognition to high cognition, and by that I mean intellectual abilities, we make a huge assumption in society today. We are, we all of us, the three of us, we live in, when most people live in a, in a verbal society, right? So we're used to communicating verbally. And people who don't, who are minimally verbal, for example, which is what I'm focusing on these days, is you're trying to second guess what's going on in their brain when they cannot find the words or their motoric 
speech apparatus doesn't let the words come out. So we design novel experiments to get at what's going on in the brain from intentionality to articulation. And that's what's really key. So we use both functional MRI, I use functional MRI or magnetoencephalography or EEG electroencephalography, as well as diffusion tensor imaging. And the bottom line, Hardeep and Melody, it's it's really all about trying to understand when someone is unable to communicate their needs, we have a responsibility to them to try and get as accurate a representation of what their intention is and their meaning is. And as in the medical profession, we don't even realize what a big responsibility it is on us when they come to see you as a patient and they can't, cannot tell you what's bothering them. We take communication for granted. And so we, we try to understand the, the system, the network in the brain that's impacted by the disorder and importantly, how social skills and things like the JCSW are important because they actually massage those skills, help us practice those skills, and help us hone those skills. And they're all part of the confidence building, but being clearer about what you intend to say, and then communicating that to the rest of the world, or in this case, to our you know, organization. One of the things that I have found in the JCSW and at large in, uh, in the other things that I do is that, you know, we, we talk about diversity in terms of skin color, let's say. That's the one that comes to mind, but it isn't really just that. It's, you know, it's different abilities um, to understand things and different ways in which you get around how, how you move, you know, it could be, you know, that you can't walk. So it's one of those things. And one of the things that from the JCSW is being interacting with people who think differently and see the world differently. And, and then, and then it's like about how do I, how do I change my communication? What, what words do I need to use in order to, um, uh, get them to understand? I or was just going to say something really quick. I love this in order for me to understand how do I get them to explain something to me in a way in which I can understand as well. At one of the subcommittee meetings, I forget which one it was, or maybe at a larger JCSW, we talked about how in different cultures, speaking up is not considered polite. And in a, when we live in a country like the US, where speaking up is important, and with the freedom of the press and everything else, it sometimes takes special skill set to, as a leader, to step back and understand the person you're speaking with because they may come from a different background, different culture, and in my case, different disability. So we, the, another word that's often used is neurodiversity these days for this population. They are different. That doesn't necessarily mean they are disabled or that something is wrong with them. And so it comes Back to what I meant to say, and I forgot to say earlier, is that we start our, our research in neuroscience in the past was so focused on populations who had the disability. But now when you look at the what we call normal population, and we look at the bell curve, 
the distribution of those features, it's very, very, it's very much not like what we would expect. Normal today has expanded representation, its footprint. And the more we understand how different normal can be, and yet is considered normal, we start becoming a much more tolerant society and much more of a listening and better communicator in the whole process. So that I think this notion of understanding skin color or differences in styles of leadership comes from learning from each other. Yeah, uh, I was just want to say I appreciate um, your um, diversity um, question. And both Maria and I have diverse backgrounds, so happy to be also leading, you know, JCSW as diverse leaders. Um, but I do agree with you that many people have a very sort of siloed view of what diversity is. It means different things to different people based on your experiences, based on um, your culture, um, you know, where you grew up how other people have treated you. But yeah, I think a lot of things that have sort of been left out of the con conversation, like a religious diversity, things like that, um, people with disabilities, we definitely um, focus on more, most, mostly, um, you know, racial diversity, so to speak, as opposed to also looking at, um, you know, different areas of diversity that we need to sort of um, put to the forefront, you know, um, you know, who is at the table if you're doing a new construction or, you know, who needs to be at the table to have a conversation about that? Or um, if you're doing something within your team, like is maybe somebody somebody on your team needs to be in the room and, you know, maybe they're not getting the opportunity to speak up when, you know, you say something to your boss, well, this person has a good, some good things to say. You know, listening to people with diverse perspectives and having um, that at the table is also a part of um, diversity or even just so as far as just to say being inclusive um, of people, you know, I mean, those things are, you know, important to me. So I appreciate you asking the question. Okay, good. So, so I've been asking others this, this question, well, it's two questions. What is one professional skill and one personal skill that you would like to work on or are working on? Um, I think for me, basically, I mean, like I said, I'm the these platforms and the other community platforms I've been on are uh, good practice. Um, learning to deal with, you know, like how to deal with more difficult conversations. <laughs> yeah, and um, learning how to uh, maybe diffuse, you know, as you know, when things get maybe a little heated in the room, learning how to sort of redirect those. Um, you know, that's part of communication. I mean, I already always admire people who can do that. And when things are sort of sort of getting out of hand in a meeting, they can just like bring things back to the central point. Oh, why are we here? Or what do we really need to focus on? I think that's a great skill to have. Um, and I'd love to um, develop that both personally and professionally. I think as leaders or even just general colleagues, that's like a, gr a great skill to have <laughs> because oftentimes Sometimes people go off tangents and, you know, we all been, we all have been in chaotic meetings or meetings that go nowhere. I really, I like to be organized and focused, try to focus on, you know, solving problems and making things better for people. So I think those are things I'm looking into um, getting a coach. So there, there are a few things I want to work on, but I know that that's definitely um, one of them. Do you have a personal skill? Something else? Fun or not fun? 
Uh, can you repeat the personal school question again? <laughs> just what is there another personal skill that you're working on? And it doesn't have to be like, could be like a hobby that you want to pursue or, you know, that you would like to do, but you haven't got around to it, anything or nothing. I can't really think of anything right now. I think um, the, what I mentioned before is kind of doubles as both maybe personal and professional. I think yeah. on the personal level, what I'd like one. to work on and <laughs> Wait, I'm what working about you, on one professional skill or a personal skill that you're um, not working on or would like to work personally. on. Personally, I'll leave it at that. I think when you are a leader and also aspire to be leaders in other domains, you you have to walk a very careful line. And sometimes mm, when you but you know, trying to do that, you will encounter resistance and you you listen, but you don't let it get to you or become a very personal issue because then your relationships and your interactions go amiss. As far as professional, what I'd be working on is probably trying to understand the other side. And what I mean by that is having been a leader in different capacities in the past, and as I continue to do what I do now, I've built more confidence. I've, I'll be honest, I've always believed in myself. And because of that, it gives me a lot of conviction of where I'm coming from. So I feel pretty good about that. But I think I also begin to respect that being a leader is not easy. So now when I interact with other leaders, I listen and I understand sometimes why they come across or have to be the way they are, because they have to make complicated choices. And it's all related to, I think the two skills that I mentioned that I'm working on are very related, not taking things personally and trying to understand and give the benefit of doubt, even to senior leadership of why they do what they do, because it's a complicated world that we live in. And it's always trying to navigate that because each person has someone above them and above them above them in a system that's so layered that you start to wonder how do we better understand even as the JCSW in our initiatives and our efforts to connect the dots because we want accountability but we also need to layer that with understanding and i think you get further by actually listening and listening between the lines, even from senior leaders, much more senior to you, because their decisions are not always easy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And also, you know, they're working with the information they have at the time. I mean, sometimes after making decisions and some other information comes to light, and then in terms of understanding where they're coming from, they can probably not always share sensitive information at a certain time. And for every good decision, there's always a drawback. I learned that once in taking a management class where uh, the teacher said, it doesn't matter if it's the best decision ever. It will always most likely have some type of drawback. It's just, you know, can you mitigate the risk? So they do make decisions that may seem great, but also they, you know, there's never a perfect decision, which some people just don't understand, or the decision might not, you know, be inclusive almost of everyone, which might be hard. It might impact somebody neg negatively. But yeah, I do, I do have a softer spot for people. I don't, you know, I was never judgmental of people leading. I mean, complex people coming to you for your ideas, your thoughts, and you have to rationalize why you're doing 
doing something, supporting with um, research or getting information from the experts to support uh, moving a different direction. I recently, I'm not going to say specifically what it is, but I recently had to reach out to two experts to do this, to get some information, to develop some policies for a program. And, you know, I was so glad I did because they had information that I didn't know of that was really important to integrate um, into the program moving forward. And it was very helpful um, doing that. So, you know, just just gathering information you need from the experts in the field. You know, sometimes that takes time, right? <laughs> While people are anxiously waiting for your decision when you're trying to gather information to figure out what course of action to take. Yeah, I think that that is one of the things that gets downplayed is the ability to ask for help. I think so not that many people do it. And so they struggle on their own. I find it empowering, actually. So um. <laughs> Me too. I, I, I find it, it's like part of that networking kind of thing. So we have three minutes left. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to say? Any? Um, for me, I'd like to just say that um, I really appreciate the opportunity um, that JCSW has presented and the opportunity to, quote unquote, what I call practice leading. <laughs> it's been a very supportive environment. Um, I've never, well, I've never really been slapped in the hand or anything. People are really supportive. And if something needs to go in a different direction, just telling you the reasons why. Um, I've definitely learned a lot. I would love to encourage people. I know everyone is busy. That if you want to test drive opportunities to lead, you know, consider um, these volunteer opportunities, actually, um, even if you're just doing it for one year um, to help. It's nice to attend a seminar. I've attended quite a few. But when you're like practicing in the moment and you're doing it, it's totally different. You know, leading in action is different than going to a seminar and listening. It's all great information, but you do have to practice to develop. Um, taking information and reshaping your perspective is all important, but you do have to put it into action. And this is one place that you can do that. So I've really appreciated developing in that way. And, um, you know, my call to action would be um for other people to, to look at these types of platforms um, as part of their um, career development. Well, two things of what you said, it's all about the experiential learning. You can't, you can't reproduce that. And um, the other thing was like, I kind of take issue with the word practice leading. I think you actually are leading because you're the co-chair and you do lead. So there's no practicing in there. <laughs> okay, you say so. Planting pearls of wisdom. <laughs> well, okay, I, that's I, part I just, of leading. I'm, uh, I'm getting used to that. The one thing that continues so. to worry <laughs> me about Maria, is the fact what about that, you? Do you, have, you know, um, I've heard from very thoughts? established women in senior leadership positions around the country, world, whatever, who still say this statement that the bar is still held higher for women. I just don't get that. I mean... Why should it be? You know, we constitute 50% at least of the world's population. Why shouldn't we have that much? Why shouldn't we be empowered through leadership to have that voice at the table that counts as much instead of sitting around and joking about and looking at cartoons which show, you know, a man saying something and then a woman, the man, male leader in the group saying, so, so and so. You know, or a woman said something and saying, okay, let the man repeat it and take the credit for it or something like that. The point is simple this, simply this, that the bar should not be higher for women than for men in society, regardless of whether it's on the personal front or on the professional front. 
that equality, equity begins at home in your home responsibilities. And then you take that model and work with it at work. Okay, that's great. Thank you, both of you, for agreeing to do this podcast. Uh, I really appreciate that the time that you've taken today to to talk to, to me, and you know, the things that we discussed were really were really great. And thank you. We really appreciate you for offering to do this. Um, I know this was a stretch for me, but it's been um, great. And I hope you know. I, my hope, one of the reasons I agree to this, is hope that someone can take something away from this and. Um, you know, feel good and empowered with what anything that we have said here today. So thank you. 